Well, hello everybody and welcome back. This is our daily devotional for October 3rd, 2023. I hope that this finds all of you doing very well. If you find it at 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. or sometime in between or maybe even later than that, and maybe it won't even be October the 3rd, 2023 when you find it. It could be 2024 or 2026. Maybe you're sitting in a jury right now watching this. I don't know. I mean, it's who knows? It's an interesting world out there. But for the time being, I'm delighted to have this time with you as we make our way through God's Word. Now, where we find ourselves today is in Acts chapter 13 again. Yesterday, I really hoped to get further, but ended up taking more time about the whole subject or, or spending more time on the subject of commissioning, on the subject of ordination, on the building blocks of why the church does what it does and, and why it functions as it functions. And, and, and in, in particular, in fact, I got a message from somebody today, and I, I always appreciate that encouragement, but, but thanking me for talking about some of the roots of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, where we come from, why we exist. One of those issues is patronage. And so we talked about how calling is always internal, where, where a man feels a sense of calling from the Lord, but it's also external. And that means it's affirmed by the church. The church is the one that sends out, okay? That's what we focused on yesterday as we dealt with Saul and Barnabas. I said that we would get to story time. We really didn't. And again, y'all, please understand, I, I'm not saying story time as in something that, that like it's derogatory, like it's fake, that it's not accurate. This is history, but it's in the stories of Acts that we see the Acts of the Apostles. It's in the stories that we found the, the, the basic building blocks of the church and, and why we do what we do. It's in the stories that we see God's faithfulness. Also, sometimes we see his judgment. I'd hope we'd get to this yesterday. I didn't make it because uh, the, the time before when we were together, we saw God's judgment being poured out on Herod who accepted worship and as a result was struck down by an angel of the Lord and he was eaten by worms and died. It's rather poignant, isn't it? That's in chapter 12, verse 23. Um, what we see today it's also rather poignant, and there's also a principle or two revealed in it. Let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Our Father, please be with us now. Help us to see the meaning of your word and to be encouraged by what we find here. The fact that you are working, the fact that your gospel cannot be stopped, but also let us not miss the lessons that we find that the evil one always seeks to dissuade and discourage, and that we are called not only to tell the truth, but to call out evil. So please, let us be bold for your name's sake, based not on who we are, but on your power that is in us by power of your Holy Spirit. So please, guide us by your Spirit in this time, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so yesterday we met the cast of characters, but the, the backdrop is, is that the two of them, and we're in Acts chapter 13, verse 4, it simply says, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went to Seleucia, and sailed from there to Cyprus. Well, who are the two of them? Rewind, chapter 13, verse 2. You find out that the two of them are Saul and and Barnabas, right? Those are the two that have been sent on their way. We're about to find out that John was traveling with them as their helper. Nevertheless, 
the two of them being called by the Holy Spirit, being empowered and sent out by the church, following the Holy Spirit, are on the road and they get to Cyprus, right? Verse five, when they arrive at Salamis, they pro proclaim the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. Again, nothing abnormal here. Remember, previously, Peter's vision, right, Cornelius, then we find out about the other disciples that have felt the calling to take the gospel to the Gentiles. This does not negate that in the slightest bit. They simply go and enter into the synagogues because that's their background. They themselves are, 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 are Jews, right, or at least Saul uh, is considered a Jew among Jews, okay? And it was also a very fitting arena, a very fitting setting to go and teach the word of God. So that's what they do. John is with them. Verse six, it says they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Now, yesterday where we left off was introducing the cast of characters, and I said we talk more about this today. Y'all, this is an intimidating verse, isn't it? You know, we find out that Bar-Jesus is actually a sorcerer. Some translations call him a magician, but sorcerer is a better translation. He's a sorcerer, he's a false prophet, and his name is very interesting there. We read it as Bar-Jesus. Realize that in Hebrew, it would have been Bar-Yeshua or Bar-Joshua. And yes, Jesus is a variation of the name Joshua, okay? But read past the actual Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua. What that name means is Savior. That's why Joseph was told to name Mary's son Jesus. Because why? Because he would save his people from their sins, okay? That's the origin of Jesus' name. And they come across this sorcerer named Bar-Jesus, or Son of the Savior. Y'all, this is intimidating. Satan knows exactly what he's doing. Now, some people read this and they say, sorcerer, okay? What happens as he reach forward and pull a denarii out from behind somebody's ear or something like that? Y'all, I've said this lots of times in here before, and we've seen different examples of this throughout time, but realize that the Bible doesn't exaggerate, number one. And number two, the Bible calls things what they are. Bar-Jesus, the one that's supposedly the son of the Savior, is in fact a sorcerer. And he must have been a man of some level of power to achieve the position that he has achieved. And I know that that sounds weird, okay? Please don't misunderstand me, right? I'm not saying that, that you know, that, 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 that sorcery is this everyday thing. That, that, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this. Don't reduce the Bible into something that would just fit into your worldview, easy peasy, lemon squeezy, right? A lot of people read this and they say, oh yeah, Bar-Jesus, he's a false prophet. That means he's a false magician too, he has no power. It's parlor tricks. He's just a tricky kind of guy. Real magic doesn't exist. Real sorcery doesn't exist. In that aspect, the Enlightenment hasn't done us any favors because what we've done is we've taken a world full of wonder and that which cannot be explained. And we just packaged it up so nicely and neatly in a little box that we can explain away everything. Now, you might be hearing this and saying, Patrick, are you saying that 
that magic and sorcery is real? No, I'm not saying it. God does. And he says not to do it. Y'all, sorcery, right? Sorcerers, mediums, witches, witchcraft, they were all outlawed by God's law in the Old Testament. Witchcraft, those necromancers, the, the, the mediums, right? Psychics, if you will, is a modern day term. These are things that God has called an abomination. And if you say, yeah, but none of that stuff is real. Where did you hear that? Is it, is it with some small view of the world? Yo, we have examples of sorcerers in God's word, right? The, the two most notable ones that we find immediately are Pharaoh's sorcerers who throw down their staves and they turn into snakes. And no, it was not a parlor trick. And no, they didn't have snakes up their sleeves. They were able to do this. They weren't able to do the kind of things that Moses could do. They couldn't turn the Nile into blood like he could and, and not to the scale. But nevertheless, they were sorcerers. Fast forward to Saul and the witch at Endor. Somehow, some way, he knew that she was a medium and he got her to conjure up Samuel, the prophet. Samuel shows up and basically says, what are you doing here? You know, this is an abomination, right? But nevertheless, she does it. It's real. It's legitimate. We have no reason to doubt that Bar-Jesus himself is a sorcerer. We know he's a false prophet. Now, does that mean that he intentionally lies about prophecies? Does it mean that he's given prophecies that are false as a result of demonic activity? I don't think it's option A. I think it's option B. I think that he is legitimately a prophet, albeit a false one. Right. So and when you combine this right false prophecy with his name, that he's the son of the savior, y'all names are important. Satan always works through names. Right. Remember when Jesus went to the demoniac at the garrisons? What did the demon call himself? I am legion for we are many, right? It's an intimidation factor. This is a deception factor when he comes across Bar-Jesus, this false prophet, this sorcerer that calls himself the son of the savior. That's the backdrop here. Saul and Barnabas just commissioned by the church to go out, and this is what they are dealing with. Now, as it continues rolling along, we find out that Bar-Jesus was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. Now, what is a proconsul? Well, this is a government official that is set up by the Roman government to rule, okay? He was most likely over that portion of Crete. He is a man of means. But also we find out, keeping on reading in verse 7, that the proconsul, an, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul, because he wanted to hear the word of God. Now, this is an indication of how the Lord works. This is an indication of the gospel going out and the gospel can't be stopped. How does this proconsul, how does this Roman official find out about these men? I don't know. Is it because of what they're teaching in the synagogues that ends up making its way back? I, I don't know. We're not told. But what we are told is that the proconsul is an intelligent man and he sends for Saul and Barnabas because he wanted to hear them preach the word of God. But interestingly enough, the son of the Savior now enters into the equation. 
And you would say, well, he's the son of the Savior. Shouldn't he want the proconsul to hear the word of God? Well, the answer is no. Verse 8, but Elymas, the sorcerer, and, and you might say, well, wait a second, I thought his name was Bar-Jesus. Y'all, it was very common, okay, to have multiple names. Most likely his name is Elymas. He refers to himself as Bar-Jesus, okay? Lots of times Jews, John, who is called Mark, you know, there's, this happens all the time, okay? But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, sorcerer, magician. Maybe he was named Bar-Jesus, maybe it doesn't matter right? Multiple names, same guy. It says he opposed them, we're in verse 8, and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, time out, pause. We've reached an interesting point. This is the first place that we see Saul really referred to as Paul. Now we need to be careful here. This is not because of some great shining transition moment. Saul and Paul were used interchangeably, but this is the first time that we find out about it. And doesn't that only go to offer more evidence that in the Jewish culture, you could go by different names? Now, all of that being said, okay, Paul finds out what Elymas, what Bar-Jesus, this false prophet, this sorcerer is doing, and says to him, he says to him, verse 10, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Y'all, did you catch what Paul just said there? And we're going to refer to him as Paul now, because that's what he's being referred to as. But Paul, still Saul, same guy, right? He encounters this sorcerer who is known as Bar-Jesus, the son of the Savior the child of the Savior. And what does he say to him in verse 10? He doesn't greet him as child of the Savior. He says, you're a child of the devil. And he calls out what he does. Now, y'all, in this story time, this is a very interesting development because what you see is Paul going into this situation, empowered by the Holy Spirit, called by God to share the gospel, and he stands up for truth. He does what we talked about a couple of days ago on Sunday morning. He contends for the faith, and he calls Bar-Jesus, Elymas, it doesn't matter what you want to call him. He calls this sorcerer what he actually is, that he's deceitful, that he's full of trickery, and that he perverts the ways of the Lord, the right ways of the Lord. And it's that last statement of indictment that really ought to be a warning sign for us here and also ought to point us to what's going on around us. Y'all, if Paul is so intent on calling this out, shouldn't we be on the lookout for those that would do the same thing? Now you might say, yeah, well, if I see a sorcerer, I'll let you know, one that's legit. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those that pervert God's word, that take the clear, the, the, the clear, obvious meaning of God's word, and then they twist it up and they package it up and then they ship it out. They say, we know God's word says this, but 
this is what it really means over here. Yeah, it says that, but that's just cultural. You don't have to listen to that kind of stuff. What it really means is this. And somehow, some way, these tricksters, these perverts, right? And usually we reserve that term for something of a sexual orientation. But really, they are perverts because they pervert God's word. They take the clear meaning of God's word and they twist it around. And they try to say that, no, 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 no the Bible doesn't teach that. And you can take your pick with any number of social justice causes with, you know, the homosexual agenda is the most obvious thing, right? But y'all, and uh, I may lose some viewers over this, but uh, if, if you're here just to, to hear me talk and you don't want to know what God's word says, you know, you need to be captive to God's word. And furthermore, as I evaluate what I'm saying here, you know, if, if my concern is viewers, then I'm, I'm off altogether. But I'm going to go ahead and say it, y'all. You know, we talk about the, the lunacy of the church out there that is ordaining homosexuals to be pastors. And we say, how could they do that? Clearly, the Bible teaches differently. I hate to tell you guys, and some of y'all are at churches that have them, um, but the Bible also very clearly teaches that women should not be pastors and that women should not be elders. And I'm not trying to be ugly and I'm not trying to swat some kind of hornet's nest, but y'all, 1 Timothy 2, 12, 1 Timothy 3, 2, 1 Corinthians 14. And don't give me any of the stuff that happens with the homosexual thing, right? People talk about homosexuals being pastors and like, oh, no, 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 that's just cultural. You know, what that really is talking about is this fill in the blank thing over here. And really homosexuals are allowed to be pastors because that's just, that's just talking about culture. No, it's not. It's talking about basic morality. And as it comes to women being ordained to preach at Old Providence, and this may be a surprise to you, we do not have women elders. We do not have women pastors in the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, of which I am a part. We do not have it because God's word clearly teaches. Look it up. 1 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 4, 1 Corinthians 14. Clearly, God's word teaches that this is not permissible. And also, it has nothing to do with culture because God says that the reason that he gives this rule is because Adam was first formed and then Eve, right? It's not about ability. It's not about quality of person. It's about the structure that God has set in place. But, you know, we jump all over the homosexual being ordained thing and, and we say, oh, well, that's ridiculous when they warp God's word and they say it's just a cultural thing. How many churches do the exact same thing to allow women to be pastors? Y'all, it's the perversion of God's word. It's the perversion of the clear teaching of what God's word says. I do not permit women to teach or to hold authority over men. You can't get any more clear than 1 Timothy 3. It's as clear as crystal, but it's warped. It's done away with. And churches embrace this idea that, oh, no, 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 no. The Bible may say this, but this is what we believe over here. Doesn't work, guys. Part of contending for the faith means standing up against that. And if you're at a church that allows that or endorses that, and I'm not trying to, to make enemies, I'm really not, your, your quarrel is not with me. Your quarrel is with God's word, and you got to contend with it, right? you got to say, even though it clearly says this, I'm just not going to do it. And if you're willing to do that, I, you know, that, that's between you and the Lord, right? I'm not trying to start a quarrel or, or start a fight. But you can't pervert God's word. 
As a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I have to preach the whole counsel of God's word. I have to to teach the whole counsel of God's word. And Paul, without a moment's hesitation, addressed Elymas, and he calls him exactly what he is. But he doesn't stop there. Remember how I said story time before God dealt with Herod, who accepted worship? He was struck dead and then devoured by worms. Listen to what God does with Elymas, with Bar-Jesus, this sorcerer. Verse 11, it says, now, this is Paul continuing to speak to him. He says, now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind. And for a time, you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him. And he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Y'all, a principle is revealed here. A few of them. Number one, the principle revealed is that Satan is always willing to provide a bar Jesus or Elemus, whatever you want to call him. It isn't necessarily going to be a sorcerer, but it is somebody who will come in and pervert the truth of God's word. But even deeper than that, it's someone that Satan will provide in order to dissuade or do everything he can do to prevent others from hearing the good news of Jesus. What's going on here? That's it. You have this proconsul. He wants to hear the truth. He's found out about Barnabas and Paul. We don't know how, but he's found out about him. He brings them in because he wants to hear the truth. And yet Satan provides somebody to thwart those plans. Nothing's changed, y'all. Nothing's changed at all. And like I talked about on Sunday, if you're in a place where Satan never attacks, that means you're just doing exactly what he wants you to do. Y'all, Ian Paisley, right? That, and I don't agree with all of his theology, but he was that great, great fundamentalist preacher. He, he talked about how a lady came to him and she said, I don't like your church. You're always in a scrap of some sort. You're, you're always fighting. We, we at our church, we always have perfect peace. And Ian Paisley, this Northern Ireland, uh, Belfast, Presbyterian, independent pastor said, Madam, you can have your church. He said, if you want peace, he said, uh, we have plenty of peace out in the graveyard, right in the churchyard. You can go out there and have all the peace you want amongst the dead. And he said, but for us, we want to be in the fight for the gospel. And if your church isn't in the fight for the gospel, it's going to have perfect peace. Satan will be happy to leave you perfectly alone. But we want to be in the fight. And so Satan's going to provide people to try to stop that, right? But another thing is also given here, and this is encouragement for us. And with this, I'll end. Even though Satan did what he did to to try to prevent Saul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, from carrying the word to the proconsul there, Sergius Paulus, even though Satan did what he did, God intervened. And God used the devil's plans to serve as a testimony to his greatness. We just read it, right? We know that this proconsul wants to hear the word, but it takes bar Jesus being blinded. It takes the judgment of God for others on the outside sometimes to look in and see the truth. And the reason I say that to you is to encourage you because y'all, if you're doing what the Lord wants you to do, Satan's going to attack you, but take heart 
Because you and I, while we get a glimpse here and while we see how God worked as a result of this, when Satan attacks, the Lord uses those circumstances to be a witness to other people. It just so happens that we see the fruit of that here with with this Roman official. But y'all, it happens all the time. The devil attacks, but the Lord uses that. He uses that as a testimonial moment to point to his greatness. That's why, again, Jesus says things like, blessed are those who suffer for my name's sake. Because y'all, it really is the Lord's work to do this. Saul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, uh, from here on out, he's going to be referred to as Paul. They were about the Lord's business, and so they faced trouble. But the Lord overcomes. Keep that in mind. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time, and I praise you for everybody that's here and everybody that will be here. And, And we thank you that even though the evil one attacks, you are always working. As it relates to sorcerers and things, let us not be so small minded that we reduce the world to a place that we can just explain away. And, and, and I don't say that to glorify sorcery or anything, but, but Father, let us realize that we don't have all the answers and instead we are called to rely on you. Let us turn to you again and again. And as we proclaim your name and as we face the wiles of the evil one, please intervene that your will would be done. I pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Until then, I hope you have a very happy Tuesday or, well, whenever it is you happen to find this. Until we meet again, take care.